ready for this? I got one thing to say. Inside the ring. Outside the ring. That I just happen to be the greatest wrestling machine alive. It's all here. What a mega matchup. Universal Wrestling Podcast. I like this kind of party, baby. Wrestling Podcast. My name is Nick Dieterding. Thank you for tuning in. If you want to watch this interview, hop onto YouTube and search The Universal Wrestling Podcast. One last thing, I'm going to pass it to Chris Dunn before the interview so he can talk about his charity. It really hits home for him and many others. If you can donate, that would be awesome. Chris, take it away. Yeah, you know, I appreciate you having me on to promote and I appreciate Dave coming on uh, since he has a big fan base to help promote it. Um, but essentially like I'm doing a, a 10 week charity drive for the leukemia and lymphoma society. And I think everyone's dealt with cancer. You know, my, my girlfriend and her sister were you know greatly impacted when they lost their grandmother. And like they're, you know, my, my girlfriend's the most important person in my life. I love her very much. And like through that, she has like such an amazing sister who's like so bright and cool and talented so that was one of the, like, the many reasons many reasons I decided to help out with this. I think in like a, a bigger context, though, like like when you talk about this stuff, you want to personalize it. And I think as wrestling fans, um, when I started at WWE, I was there for five years. You are focused as a writer and a member of the creative team is like, who is the top person? And that's Roman Reigns. When I started, I started um, July 2016, right during the uh, brand split. So everything we did, everything we thought about was Roman Reigns every single day. He was a major part of my life, even though like I worked with him a lot when he came back uh, to SmackDown. Before, you know, before that, though, I probably like produced like a backstage or two and would say hi to him. Really nice guy. Really great guy. Coolest guy. He he feels like a movie star, feels invincible. Um, but I, I don't really know him that well. Um, he's always been really nice to me. But like he is a major part of my life because the job dictates that you have to think about Roman Reigns every day. And I got to the point where I was like really trusted WWE and I knew all the kayfabe creative. Um, and if I didn't know anything, um, I would figure out really quickly because I could put two and two together. Like I, I wasn't supposed to know about Edge returning at the Rumble, but I put two and two together on that. None of us knew what was happening that night when Roman announced he had cancer and he was it came back. Even though I, I don't know Roman well, uh, he was such a major part of my life because it was his, my job to think about him and help you know, service his career and seeing somebody so strong and so cool. And like, who feels like this invincible football player, movie star have something like a, a disease happen to him like this multiple times is really, really jarring. And really makes you think about like how life is short. And this organization, they have leukemia and lymphoma in the name, but uh, they have done so much positive research for all types of blood cancers. 
Um, they have made lives of you know, cancer patients much easier with the research they have done. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, if you even can donate like $1, it's very meaningful. It's very helpful. You know, if you've had somebody impacted by it, like you, it's probably more meaningful to you than it is to me, but like, I recommend like, we're going to link to the donation page to the organization. Please check it out. Like if you have any money you can spare, it doesn't have to be much. It can be a dollar, $5, even 50 cents uh silver dollars if they still have them so whatever help you can be yeah uh, it would be very appreciative absolutely and that's one of the reasons why i wanted you to come back on thank you nick like my my girlfriend is the most important person in my life and yeah. her, her sister has become in that group they dealt with this like not leukemia or lymphoma but like her their grandmother had cancer and it, it wasn't easy on them so uh any positive impact i can have like or or we can have as like yeah, that's the great thing about wrestling. You know, wrestling fans have a certain language, and you know we're connected. And I'm really hoping that the people listening to this podcast uh, can do their best to support. Yes, he's back. Chris Dunn and I sit down with WWE Hall of Famer JBL. Now, like the one thing, kind of going back to the Keith Lee thing and like other other stuff. Like you, you have always been about passing things over to the younger generations. So I'm not, I'm not surprised to hear about that. Um, one one younger wrestler you helped at the time was John Cena, um, and I know you've talked a lot about that. Uh, have you watched the Peacemaker show yet? No, I haven't. I'm, I'm a you know I'm a big fan of what he does. I, I think he's funny, uh, and, <laughs> and I think he's very intelligent, and, and so I enjoy the stuff he does. But I have not seen it yet. I do plan to see it. Yeah. Um, when did you kind of what did you think of John when you first started working with him? Didn't know, you know, it's, it's a world of difference between going from eight minutes match to a 30 minute match, you know, eight minute match is easy. You get out there, you, you start the match, you go to your heat, you go home 30 minute match. You have to really take people on a roller coaster. You don't just, it's not form, formulaic, you know, you really have to put some stuff together. Now you may break it up, you know, like Briscoe would used to do in the 15 minute segments for an hour and know where you need to be at certain tent poles. But it's a complete different mindset. And a lot of guys never make that transition. Yeah. I think John had done it first with Kurt Angle. I'm not sure which one of the greatest of all time, uh, but I was second, at least second, it may have been first. And I remember Vince asking me, he goes, how is he? And I said, kid's awesome, man. And he just had a feel, you know, and you knew it immediately when you got out there with him. He's one of the most respectful guys I've ever been around. Uh, it's unbelievable his respect for the business his respect for older guys, you couldn't help but cheer for him and root for him when he, when he came in. It's, it's really, it's so amazing how he's broken out in such a big way. And I think that's one of the reasons he like, you know, he was so good for so long. Like, you know, he's probably arguably the person who's made the most money for the company just from a longevity standpoint, minimum. Um, and the company's become like such a global phenomenon under his, his time. Uh, and he just thought like he was a person who I think it seems like and you, I, I barely met him. It's just from being around, like he looked at the big picture on a lot of stuff, like kind of like you did, like he would sit with younger talent. I know a lot of the 205 Live guys and would tell him like, Hey, like maybe you should wear like clothing. Like when you wrestle, it's kind of stand out and stuff because everyone's like in tights or like, you know, uh, giving advice on like people's entrances and like just thinking like, every segment of the show of a 16 segment show can't be exactly the same. Right. And that's a mistake. A lot of young guys make, you know, when, when I was had my run, all of a sudden you you look at your underneath heels 
they're all wanting to smile and glad hand. You know, if you have a top guy that's a snarly guy and a mean guy, all your underneath guys want to do the same. You know, you have a stone cold who comes out flipping people off. <laughs> Everybody all of a sudden wants to flip people off. That is the exact opposite of what they should be doing. Because you can't out stone cold, stone cold. Exactly. And you can't out rock the rock, you know, and you, you got to be different. And that's where I think a lot of people miss. Well, that's successful. So that's what I've got to do. No, you, that's successful for them. And if it's really successful, it's too attached to them for you to be able to do it successfully. You need to find something different to do. Yeah. hundred um, percent. I think like a, uh, one thing with that is like, was there ever a time where you kind of felt like I, that you made like needed to make a really big zig when everyone else was zagging? Cause it felt like you, you reinvented your character so many times. Was there like a moment where you're like, you were backstage looking around, everyone's doing this and I kind of go, you go do that. Yeah. There was a time I remember Vince talked to me about it, uh, about JBL becoming a lot more serious and, and a lot less entertaining. And, you know, I don't remember exactly the town or the city, but I do remember the exact time Vince talked to me and said, nothing, nothing else is entertaining. And it was because you, you're starting to see too many people trying to, to do something similar. And so you needed a switch from JBL to get to something else, especially, you know, being a heel a long time, it, it's hard. It's kind of like the old J.R. Ewing, you know, eventually everybody loves you, you know, yeah. if, you, if you're a heel long enough. And so you got to find new ways to be that heel and that constantly is, is some evolution going forward in the character. Um, I think like one thing too, which I've been thinking about, I feel there's like a weird balance. Um, I guess like I kind of come from a philosophy of like wins and losses don't always matter as much as the story and kind of what you get out of it. Yeah. Um, but then I also kind of feel there are times where like you're pushed, you kind of abuse that, that and somebody is losing too much. Have you, have you ever kind of seen, like, do you have a philosophy on that? Like if there's a balance to hit or like one is better than the other? Yeah, I always thought if, you know, it, it's like, just try to talk to East Slater on our, on our uh, podcast that had been uh, Briscoe, which I'm not trying to, not trying to push. I just literally got off the podcast with, no. with Heath. And, you know, Heath lost every legend that came through and Heath yes. got over like a million dollars. You know, Sean lost that ladder match, the Razor, and Sean got over like a million dollars. So I, I don't think wins and losses are as important if you have a way to get over otherwise. Uh, you know, like for Sean, his athleticism, for Heath, his charisma. I do think at some point you just get beat every single week. It snowballs on you the wrong way. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny you bring up Heath. When I started at the company, it was during the Heath Slater free agency stuff. And he was, he was, he was getting the biggest reactions and he's eventually in the ring with like Randy and Brock. Yep. It was like, and like, you know, ran like Heath and Rhino when the, are the first ever SmackDown tag team champions. At the end of it. <laughs> it's like, it's amazing yeah. to look back on. Um, one question. And if you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to, I was told to ask you about the golf cart story. What golf cart story? The, about the, in Doral? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's where Michael Hayes drove a golf cart in the lake. Yes, yes. That's yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. But Michael Hayes denies it, but Michael Hayes denies a lot of things. And I love Michael. <laughs> Michael taught Buzz Aldrin how to moonwalk. Uh, so we're we're in uh, the row at Sergeant Slaughter's golf tournament. And uh, 
everybody's, you know, we're not making a lot of money there. They've got all these, you know, big, big names there. They've got big sponsors, all this stuff. So anyway, Michael's uh, then wife was sitting there and I said, Hey, are you right next to me in 238? She said, no, no, we're in 140, whatever it was. I said, oh, okay, well now I got his room number. So when the bill comes, I said, I got it. <laughs> and so now we're not making much money. It's like five o'clock in the morning. And I said, I got the bill. So they come over and they give me the, they give me the bill and I'll leave this huge tip. And Taker says, let me, let me, let me get that. And I said, no, no, I got, I got, I got it. I'm, I'm, I'm like Tony Stark now. I'm just, <laughs> I got all the money in the world. I got, I got, I got. It. So finally Taker, we're walking out. Taker says, Hey, let me, uh, let me split that with you. And I said, I got it. I got it. He goes, John, come on. Listen, he goes, I'm not trying to insult you, but it's a lot of money. And I said, I signed it to Michael's room. And take her that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. So, so that's great. We got a tee off about an hour from now. We're standing on the tee, and Michael comes up in, in the golf cart, and he's all mad at everybody. And he gets up uh, on the thing, and he's cutting the promo. He, he's going to kill me. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I don't want, do not want to have to fight Michael. He's right at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and, oh, my goodness. And he slams on the brakes to stop and get out and he slides down a hill and goes right in the lake <laughs> and drops his golf cart right in the lake. People are, that's the greatest thing we've ever seen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and me too. I said, can we leave before he gets out? Cause he's going to be very mad. Yeah. Did he have, did he have issues getting out? What? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, he, he had, there were issues, all kinds of issues. Because Michael you know, has all kinds of issues. <laughs> I know Michael from, I was over in Europe and I got hurt and I had to come back and I called Skandor Akbar and I said, Hey, Ak, I got no money. And I said, I got a blown out knee. I said, what can I do? And I lost the loser leaves town match. I think, to, I think it was the Freebirds actually that I lost the loser leaves town match to. And so that gave me the excuse to go to Europe. Well, now I'm back. So he puts me under a hood with the long hair and the, everything's the same, except I just got a hood on. So we're doing these house show loops. I'm causing the Freebirds to lose. We're in some high school somewhere and this labyrinth of halls and stuff goes back to the shower and I get back there and I'm on crutches. It's floors wet, butt naked. All I got is a towel. I'm sitting back there. I finally find the shower. Well, there's Michael and Jimmy Garvin. And so anyway, <laughs> hey guys, anyway, they leave and they turn out the lights for the entire building. Yeah. And I'm in the middle of this building on a wet floor on crutches no clothes, and it takes me forever to get out of this thing. I couldn't find my way out. It's pitch black. <laughs> None of the switches, the lights worked. It turned off the, the entire electricity of the building somehow. So, dude. Yeah, it's uh, – There is nobody like Michael Hayes. He's the greatest. <laughs> uh, Michael is, is – I think, I think the world of Michael. He yeah. Is, he is the most entertaining person you'll meet in life. It yeah. is quite amazing. Um, and Michael's a brilliant guy too. I mean, yes. brilliant. I don't I mean, mean smart. A, I mean, brilliant. And that's what I wanted to ask you about. Like it's, you know, everyone, everyone sees Michael, they think napes and, you know, the moonwalk and all these different things, but like parties from a story standpoint, goddamn, he is an amazing producer. And, you know, when he was down the, like the shows were so good. Like what, what kind of makes Michael stand out compared to other producers? I, like I, to me, it's like what's, what makes uh, Einstein a great mathematician as compared to other very smart mathematicians. Exactly. You know, it, you know, there's one there's one person you know out of every group of smart people that just is above and beyond. And Michael is above and beyond. When I was in Texas, 
we had sit in a meeting. The first time I'd ever been in a meeting with uh, Michael and the Von Erics, nobody spoke but Michael. No one. No one said a word. Michael was the only one back then that was speaking. And everybody just, okay, whatever Michael says, we'll do. You know, he's always had that respect about uh, what, what he can do. I remember Road Dog one time told him, he, he said, I just went to Michael. And he said, next thing I know, he's outlined the next several pay-per-views. And he said, I can't do that. He goes, am I supposed to be able to do that? <laughs> and, and Road Dog's a very, Road Dog's the same way. Road Dog's yeah. a very yeah. smart guy. And, but he was putting over Michael, the, you know, that, Michael, of course, Michael had been doing it longer, too. I think Road yeah. Dog now would, would be able to do something like that. But Michael just had a, an ability to put stuff together. Yeah. And with Road Dog, I could spend a whole hour talking about him just because that guy made such a big impact on my career. And I, I just learned so much about the business. I think, like, one thing I always respect about Michael is, like, he always aims incredibly high, knowing that you can always pull it back. And I think that's one of the reasons he's done so many amazing main event matches and top talent always loves working with him. Yeah. Yeah. When you want something creative, they would give it to Michael, you know, my, and Michael could, Michael could deliver road dogs the same way, you know, road dogs, a guy that's, that's in that exact same mold. You know, the, these guys are just, they're just head and shoulders better than everybody else at it. Yeah. I yeah. really feel like, you know, I'm biased. Cause like I, when I started the company, I was working more on raw at this point, though I was going to both shows like that, that, run after the brand extension when smackdown started you know raw was really stacked but those like if you look at like if you look at like you know each smackdown as a record like those that first year of the brand extension was like all bangers and like yeah you know road dog along with ryan ward and steve Guerrero, they were just such a great team of you know figuring out playing to talent strengths and like what can you do and what like makes you like what makes you stand out and what can you do better and like how do you hide those weaknesses and like Road Dog, he came up with so many good lines for people. Like the Samoa Joe Night Night, like he he made he made a lot of money for people. Yeah, he did. And uh, you know, Finley's in that same mold. You know, Finley's a guy that uh, you know, Finley to me is one of the biggest reasons for the women's division now. Uh, you know, he's so good at taking people. You know, good good trainers are very rare. You know, a guy like Dr. Tom or Brad Ryan's or you know some really great ones out there. Finley's like that. You know, you, you take a guy and you figure out what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. So it's not just cookie cutter. You're going to do a suplex. You're going to do this. Finley would figure out stuff that people could do and tailor everything to that person. And it's just, uh, it's a real talent that, that some people have. And, and most don't, you know, it's like, it's like any rare talent, you know, if, yeah. if it was, if it was that easy, everybody would be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I don't know if Finley really that well, and like I I was around him a lot. I don't know if he recognized me in the lineup, but one of the things I was always very impressed with him with was he knew everything going on everywhere. And I remember one meeting in particular that like he really blew me away. Uh, we were talking about a top talent's new finishing move, and everyone's like, "Yeah, yeah, it's cool." And then Finley like kind of stood up. He was like, "Yeah, it's a cool move," but they're doing it here, 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 and here. And then here, 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 and here. Yeah. And it's like, we're the we're the WWE. We're supposed to be the leaders. So do we want one of our top guys doing a move that like this guy's doing or this go girl's doing or this yeah. guy's doing? No, like we want to be forward and we want to be ahead of the curve, not behind the curve. And it was so passionate. And like, you know, like, you know, a lot of times like Fick could get Vince on board on things because he's <laughs> very educated on what's going on and he makes a compassionate case. And he's also like very passionate. Yeah. Um, and it's like very, you learn a lot just by osmosis and being around him. 
Yeah. yeah and I think Vince had a lot of respect for fit uh, as well. He should, you know, I said it many times fit was the best heel I've ever seen that when he was, what he did in Europe was unbelievable and nobody could match that. Uh, the, the amount of years in a row that he was the top heel and he drew, he had incredible heat. He was so good. I wish the States had been able to see fit at his best longer. You know, he got over to the States and he, and he got hurt and that crazy freak accident with the table. And that wasn't the same fit as before. He was still one of the best in the world, but him before he was the best in the world. I mean, he was, he was the best heel I've ever seen. Yeah. He's a, he's a guy that you would spend like 12 months building up for a, a mania match with like a, a young scene or whatever. It's, it's, it's like after I kind of mentioned before, when you were telling me about that stuff, I went online and tried to find like old, old videos of that. And it's just like a completely different performer. Yeah. And it's unreal. And that's one of the reasons that was so cool for me to be able to have a WrestleMania match. I had a match with Finley it was yes. down in Orlando. I don't remember what, what Russell number it was, mania number it was, but it was in Orlando. And, you know, I, I knew I had so much respect for, for Dave for what he had done in Europe that I was getting to wrestle with. I knew one of the true legends of the business. And that was really cool to me. Hey, John, you brought up Randy, you brought up uh, Finley, a lot of my favorites, but, up there with them, as you as well, is uh, Eddie. Do you have any favorite uh, stories of your late friend? Yeah, you know, Eddie did more for me as far as the JBL character. Without Eddie, there would be no JBL. You guys would not be talking to me now. If you did, it'd be talking to me about uh, the days of Bradshaw and the APA. Eddie was everything to me because he wanted the match to get over. You know, it's the old thing when you're the champion, you want to be able to make everybody. And Eddie and I were good friends. And yeah. Eddie took it personal that when we first started the angle leading up to the Staples Center in that first match we had that was so bloody that we weren't getting a lot of steam behind it. And that's when Eddie came up with the idea of doing the heart attack angle with his mother in El Paso on Mother's Day. Yeah. And Eddie came up with so much of the stuff that, that I said uh, Eddie would call me all times of the night and say, Hey, I got, I got something for you. essay," And he would give me something to say or something to do. We were in Japan one time and the match didn't work very well. We'd work the next night too. And I remember thinking, I, I don't know what I did wrong. And yeah. Eddie called me about two o'clock in the morning. He goes, you never begged. He said, you got over here and you got in the Stan Hansen mode and you weren't JBL. And the next night I ended up on my, asked at one point and I just kind of raised my hand up to, to get him to stop and the crowd just booed like crazy and I thought ah, of course man it's, <laughs> it's so simple yeah he had a way about him that was just so good we I remember we had a match one time we were following Taker and whenever you follow Taker it was tough because you know guys back then they they, they literally whether they said it or not that was follow this and they, they'd have a great match in front of you, you know, just to see if you could follow it. And they, they were all over the place. It was some, it was a terrific match. And I remember thinking, Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? What are yeah. we going to do? And I got out there with Eddie and I called this spot at double arm drag outside and pulled the top rope of the plancha. And he goes, no, no, just sit here. So I sat there for a while. I said, all right, tackle drop down, double arm drag, go to the top rope of the plancha. And we've got to go through that. Nope. Sit here. And all of a sudden I realized what he was doing. You know, when you, when you got them up here, you can't keep them up here. Not for a 30-minute match. You got to bring them down. And what we had done is we just brought them down. You know, we bored them. Yeah. And then we slowly started building them back up. By the time we left, they're all on their feet. And that was all due to Eddie. 
you know, and then just one of those lessons that some, sometimes a lot more goes on and clicks and you go, ah, why did I think about that? Yeah. Do you remember your first 30 minute match? No, I remember I, um, it was in Japan. Yeah. I, I kind of, yes. Uh, first match I ever had, uh, went down to Texas and, and Lou Perez, who was the working cousin of Al Perez, uh, had no showed an event. And because it, due to travel or something, not just no-showed. I never met Lou, so I never thanked him for this. They needed somebody in the main event to work with Rod Price for the championship that night in Sportatorium. And they go, hey, we got this kid here that Brad Ryan's trained. He played pro football. Why don't we stick him out there and see if he can go as a surprise? And if he can't, we'll just go home in two minutes. Well, Rod carried me for 20 minutes in my first match in this main event for, <laughs> for a title surprise. So that was my first match, and it was uh, – I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, Taker's going to the Hall of Fame. We mentioned a couple of times. Do you have a, a favorite Taker memory or a favorite match you have with Taker? Yeah, we, we wrestled each other. I don't know how many times, 100, 200 times. I mean, literally, because I was a, uh, we closed every show for about a year or so uh, or longer. And then, but we also, after that, were wrestling against each other. And before that, my first match on uh, live Raw was against Taker. You know, back in the day, you had to go through Taker. And I don't say go through him but you got a match with him on television. That was usually two segments. Yeah. And if you did well, then you got moved up the roster. If you didn't, they pretty much got rid of you. That was, that was the barrier. That was the watermark was, was taker. And cause they knew it wasn't going to be his fault. If the match went bad. So it's after WrestleMania when he wrestled diesel in a very physical, violent match. Yeah. Mankind is making his debut at the end of this match. And I got taker for a segment or two on live raw and I just remember standing there, we're somewhere out in California. The pond was uh, WrestleMania right before that, where Brett yeah. and Sean did the Iron Man match. And I'd seen that Iron Man match and see Sean repel from the ceiling. And I remember thinking, man, I just don't belong here. This place is overwhelming. You know, <laughs> I, I thought I was good enough to be there. But when I see that, I'm, th I'm really having a lot of doubts. The next day, I'm standing there in the ring. It's before cell phones, lighters go up everywhere. That purple haze comes up, that yes. dong, dong. And I'd have all this in my mind about Sean and Brett and repelling. And now I'm seeing this incredible thing. Here comes the Undertaker and that shadow there. I'm in the ring with Dutch Mantel, Zebekai right beside me. And I just remember thinking, okay, who do I call in Japan to get a job is what I'm thinking. And Dutch looks around at me and he can tell that I'm panicking. <laughs> he says, just be aggressive. Just be aggressive. Whatever you do, be aggressive. Yeah. So I get Taker in the corner right away and I'm just waffling, just waffling. I'm okay, be aggressive, be aggressive. Taker says, do I owe you money or something <laughs> in the middle of and I'm thinking I'm done now. <laughs> and after the match, he was great. You know, he's just, he was trying to lighten the mood, but it was, uh, it, it was a bit overwhelming yeah. uh, to be out with, there with him, especially early because he had such an incredible presence, but that presence never changed. I stood in that ring so many times when he comes out and the entire place is just on fire with him coming out. And you're thinking, this is, this is cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's great. By the way, that's great advice by Dutch because man, I when I was there, I would see so many pushes die and so many pushes begin, uh, depending how like good your punch looked. Where like right. I would tell I would tell talent I was close to, like, and you better you better make that look good because if you don't, what people are gonna notice. Um yeah. uh two other quick questions I wanted to ask you is like why why does everyone love Teddy Long so much? 
they never rode with him is the reason. If you rode with him, you hate him. Like me and Ron do. He still owes me and Ron money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Teddy's one of these guys that – Teddy Teddy is Teddy's not a pushover. You know, Teddy's very outspoken. You know, what he believes in, he believes in. And, and I mean that in a good way. So it's not like Teddy's just kind of this – you know, T- Teddy stands for things. You know, he grew up in the Jim Crow South, you know, and he went through a lot to get in the business to where he is. And the reason people love him, you know, it's just one of those, he's just one of those guys that when you like, when you see him, you smile. Yes. And you like him. And he always has something funny to say. He always has a way to make you laugh. Teddy Long, Teddy Long is one of the best guys I've I've ever been around. And me and Ron traveled with Teddy for so many years. We had so much fun with Teddy. Um, And then finally, we talked a little bit, but I guess we hit hit this with a little bit of the golf cart, but, do you have a favorite rib that you have either pulled on somebody or it's been pulled on you? That's a great question. Cause it, uh, there were so many ribs uh, back in the day. Uh, most of a lot of them were verbal, you know, some of them were mean. I was never into like the, the, like the property destruction and stuff. I always enjoyed the, the fun ribs. Uh, you know, the, the one I've told several times is big show coming out in Europe and I'm standing in the ring with Kurt Angle and in the middle of his music plays, Hey, now you're a rock star. And Kurt yeah. Angle says, what's that? And I said, that's Shrek's theme music. <laughs> <laughs> and Kurt looks at me and goes, yeah, he's going to kill us. And I said, don't worry. Listen, I did it. I'll take the blame for it. No worries. So big show starts running toward the ring. He's going to kill us. If he can catch us, <laughs> I'm hoping he can't catch me. He's pretty quick. And when he gets the ring, I said, listen, show, I swear, I had nothing to do with it. Kurt did every bit of it. I jumped out of the ring head first. Big show didn't bite it and chased me until he caught me and beat me half to death. There's um my I have a lot of good big show moments, as I think most writers at WWE do. Uh one of my favorite was <laughs> I have never told you is um during the pandemic, I was talking to a, an assistant who there were some issues like we were at the PC tapings and like a lot was going on. You're doing two TVs a day. And like, I'm kind of like going through like what you need to keep the show going. Big show here. So he walks in, pat on the back. Oh, I remember you getting that lecture. It's like, oh, it's like going on for like minutes of how like, yeah, back when you were an assistant, you know, I remember seeing like Ed talk to you this way and Kapoor talk to you this way. And he's just like laughing, having this big old jolly time. And I, I looked to the assistant and I was like, you know, you know what's funny about that? And she goes, yeah, you were never an assistant here. <laughs> <laughs> Big show is we, we better all be thankful that he's a good hearted giant because yeah. he would have killed us. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm, I, I never want to be in the same state as him. Uh, um, hey, we John. Had so much fun. You know, the thing with ribs was I, I loved ribs and, and I didn't, I didn't care if they were on me. I got ribbed a bunch but it was just fun to me you know we, we we didn't have cell phones we didn't have internet we had each other and so that's why there were so many ribs now some were yes. you know some were you know pretty crazy and elaborate and <laughs> went too far most of them were just good natured ribs and some of them would be built over several weeks which i always uh <laughs> found the most fun because that was there was a lot of thought that would go into these ribs we may have jeff jared on the podcast double uh, j he, he has not confirmed a time, but do you have a good story that will surprise him to hear if we if we play this for him or ask him? 
I don't know about surprising. Uh, Jeff and I worked a lot together uh, back when they brought in Cornette and the NWA title and um, yeah, those WWE were and uh, ninety five, right? I think so. Yeah, huh. and Jeff and I worked a lot together. Jeff, Jeff is uh, Jeff's one of those guys like Teddy Long. Everybody loves him. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I know. Uh, and Jeff's done a lot with uh, my charity and my charity. It's not my charity. It's uh, in my Memphis Inner City Rugby in uh, Memphis that I, that I help with. Uh, don't want to take credit for what those guys Shane Young and Devin O'Brien do down there. But Jeff's Jeff's a wonderful person. I mean, Jeff's a, Jeff's a really good guy. Big heart uh, comes off as George W. Bush sometimes, but he is a he has such a big heart. Uh, I feel like he's going to say it's for strategery. Um, but that was actually, he's the best. I think he, he plays up that uh, accent yeah, a little bit. He, he is so awesome. You can tell he's always working you. Uh, like, hey, I'll tell you a funny story about telling the truth. You're know, talking about telling the truth. So we were in, uh, I think, Lexington, Kentucky. I don't remember. I think it was somewhere in Kentucky. And a bunch of the guys wanted to go out with the Godfather. You know, the Godfather was on the cover of High Time, so he has a bit of a reputation. <laughs> so the next day was like a noon show. And those guys show up like at 1 o'clock. And we know they went out with Godfather. Yeah. So they show up and Jack Land is sitting there meeting them at the door and he's got that cigarette and he's just sitting there just eyeballing them, which is the last thing you wanted from Lanza. He was the nicest guy in the world, but you, he, he's a man and you, you don't want to with a backbone. You don't want to cross it. You don't want to. And, and they had, and he, and he goes, this is what happened. He said, Jack, listen, somebody stole our car when we valley parked it and we just got it back. Jack's sitting there looking at it. He goes, all right, you're fined. I forget what it was, 500000 800000 whatever it was. He goes, and you're not working, which means they don't get paid. And he goes, be there tonight early. We had a night show. So he sends them off. Godfather comes in about 15 minutes later. He has no idea what's just happened. Jack meets him at the door, same thing. He goes, Charles, what happened? And he says, Godfather says, Jack, I had a hell of a night. He goes, I just got up. And Jack goes, I want to hear all about it. He goes, you're on after intermission. <laughs> and that was it. Nice. Um, <laughs> he didn't lie. John, um, so you actually kind of talked about the next thing I want to talk to you. Can we talk about your charity for a few minutes and explain to everyone what it is? Yeah, I'd love to. It's it's, it's what I do I, that, uh, to me, is the most important thing I do. Uh, Memphis Center City Rugby is the charity that I work with. Shane Young and Devin O'Brien are, are two young guys uh, who went down for Teach for America down to Memphis, some of the worst child poverty in America, and started up this incredible charity. Uh, I met them because I started up a charity in Bermuda that was very similar that you sport to bring kids in. Then you help them with whatever they need, job skills, uh, education, whatever it is. Uh, you're fighting incarceration or you're fighting gang membership, whatever that is. You, you get them in with the carrot, then you're able to to help these kids. And they've done just a wonderful job. They've got a 100 percent graduation rate out of all their kids. And they've got 100 percent of kids being placed after high school through their pathway program, whether that's college, military, or trade school. And it's, it's just a remarkable thing that it shows that kids in at-risk environments are no different from kids anywhere else. You know, and anybody who says that you need different curriculum or anything else, it's just not right. These kids are just as smart. They're just as capable. And that's what they're showing. We got a big fundraiser coming up May 22nd, 23rd. We're going to have some stuff on eBay for people to auction off and, and buy 100% of the proceeds are, are, are going to go to the charity, which which does incredible work. And we'll definitely. And, and by the way, it's going to be at Jerry Lawler's uh, 
restaurant bar on uh, nice. Bill Street uh, that Sunday night on, on May 22nd. King has been great supporting the charity. Uh, Jeff Jarrett has been wonderful. I mean, wonderful supporting the charity. Uh, Kane's going to come out uh, for for the for the dinner on May twenty second. So, got a lot of support and, and very very thankful for it. Before John goes, and like, um, I think like one thing that has always like really impressed me about you is like you really care about people, and even though you are such an amazing heel on television, uh, <laughs> you're such a good person off of it, um, and you know, you really care about this business and you care about helping people and, and growing them. And just, uh, it's, it's great to see. And you set a very good example. So, so thank you. Well, thank you. I, you know, business has given me some real opportunities. I was down in Malawi, which is uh, one of the poorest countries in the world down below uh, Tanzania in East Africa, only 9% of the country has electricity. And I told Kofi this the other day, I told him that a few times, uh, that I was trying to work with these kids, and I don't mean to speak much uh, Shoei or Chewa, the, the, the native tongue. They don't speak that much English. And so I'm trying to communicate with these kids. You know, we want to help them. We want to help them with you know, whatever they need for substance farming education, for malaria awareness, for job skills, for education, you know, for AIDS awareness. We want to help these kids. And it was hard to communicate with them. I'm out there by myself with all these kids in this poor area. None of them had shoes. None of them will probably ever own a pair of shoes. And one of the kids in the back says, you know, Kofi? And I said, Kofi Kingston? And he said, Kofi. And one of the other kids says, New Day? (laughs) (laughs) I said, New Day Rocks. So all these kids are now doing New Day Rocks. And they're one of the poorest areas. I have no idea where they saw it. I have no idea where it came from, but that little intro intro from WWE helped us to to reach all these kids, which, which is so cool. It's one of the doors that opens up because WWE is this such this wonderful global company. And I say wonderful company, people want to bash it, but uh, I've seen the great stuff they've done with soldiers. I've seen the great stuff they've done with charities. And I say, it's a wonder, I think it's a wonderful company. Um, And John, like the other thing I just want to talk about before you go, and again, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast? Yeah, thanks for asking. I've got the shirt on, not because I'm trying to just promote something uh, for free, but uh, I'm down visiting my uh, mom down here in Texas, and I don't have any clean clothes. So this is a, I'm, nice. I'm flying out tomorrow. That's my last shirt that's clean. <laughs> uh, yeah, Gerald Briscoe and I, who hired me back in 1995 in WWE, sold Georgia Championship Wrestling to Vince McMahon, his brother Jack, one of the greatest champions of all time. Uh, we started doing this podcast during COVID only because we wanted to put smiles on people's faces. That really was the only reason. We never dreamed we anybody would listen to it that of any of any size. We we just got guys together and would tell those stories. Most stories the the guys have never heard of, you know, because it's different when a contemporary from that era interviews you rather than just a reporter interviews you. There's no guard. There's no barrier up. It's like talking in the back to, you know, the locker room or in, in the bar in the car. And so Gerald and I just started doing this, uh, Gerald Briscoe and I started doing this podcast and uh, we're now over a year in and having fun and telling some, uh, hopefully some stories that that people uh, enjoy hearing. Yeah, let me tell you, if you you have not heard the the Mabel rib story, please listen to it. Um, Wrestling. We got the footage, by the way, from uh, Hornswoggle under the ring and with the chicken in Mexico. It was, it's one of the greatest ribs of all time. We got it up on our YouTube channel. Uh, we Hornswoggle was scared. Long story, I'll 
get to it real quick. Hornswoggle's scared of chickens, and somehow Fit Finley found this out. The Hornswoggle's under the ring. He's going to come out. They put a chicken under the ring with him. The chicken attacks Hornswoggle. We've got the video footage. I, I called WWE, and I said, can we use this for our podcast? I said, it was shot on WWE camera, but it's not your footage. They said, oh, my goodness, yeah, you this sounds great. <laughs> we got the actual footage from uh, one of the greatest ribs of all time. Wow. Hornswoggle's the best. I, I love giving him a hard time. I, I cannot tell you how much, how much I enjoyed being around Hornswoggle. We were around him a lot. We did the, when they did the YouTube show, Ron and I were around Hornswoggle. Hornswoggle one time, me and Bruce are coming into WrestleMania in Detroit, and we see Bob Holly carrying something across a, a, a field. And Bruce and I are in a car because uh, we've been in an appearance. And he said, stop the car. And it's Hornswoggle. And Bob was carrying Hornswoggle from the bar. Hornswoggle had drank too much. And he's carrying it by his belt loop. And Hornswoggle's down like this, just staying there. So same thing. We get him and said, Hornswoggle, have you been drinking? Called him Dylan. <laughs> Dylan, have you been drinking? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> just that. So we realized we've got to get him to his room because they take him to the green room. Oh, man, this is first WrestleMania. He can't be, can't be get caught. You know, who cares that he's out drinking? It's not a big deal, you know, but you can show up at the TV hotel. Guys make big deals out of something that shouldn't be big deals. So Vince uh, is coming. So we get him on the, a luggage cart. <laughs> Me, Shane Elms, Bruce Pritchard, get him on a luggage cart, pay the, the bellhop to wheel him to his room. He goes right through the lobby. There's Hornswoggle passed out on a luggage cart, going through the lobby full of fans so we, <laughs> so we can get him out of there for Vince season. One last question before we end the show here. Give me your favorite WrestleMania moment. You know, my first WrestleMania was overwhelming to me. Uh, you know, you had Roddy Piper and Goldust in that incredible match where Roddy breaks his hand, hitting Goldust in the face. Yeah. It was just beyond stiff. Uh, two, two, two tough guys, two great workers. And then Sean and, and Brett, uh, that, that incredible 60-minute match. I mean, it was just – Yeah. And one of the greatest moments I saw was the Yeslemania, as King called it. Uh, you know – we had done this stuff with Daniel Bryan and people really questioned what, what creative was doing, you know, and it's very simple. You, 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 you kill the baby face, you kill the baby face, you kill the baby face, you kill them until the big moment when the baby face survives and conquers, you know, people are like, Why? you guys are burying Daniel Bryan. You're burying. Of course we were because we knew what was coming at WrestleMania. And I just remember sitting in the production office, uh, production meeting, and saying we're ready for 80,000 people chanting yes aren't we and of yes. course they were they had the cameras back where the, yep. and that was one of the coolest things to see Daniel Bryan that over yeah. at WrestleMania when everybody's chanting yes and you you had seen the buildup for two or three months to that moment and and just thinking man this is this is incredible this is why this business is so good yes all right uh John Give the people what they want. How can they find you? I'm on all the social media stuff. Uh, I don't bear anybody, or at least I don't try to. Yeah. Uh, but uh, JC Layfield at, at Twitter and all the social media. So main thing we do, we do our podcast. We enjoy getting a bunch of old legends on it and having a lot of fun telling old stories. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't listened to it, definitely. It's, it's one of my favorite go-tos. Yep. Chris, how can they find you? Uh, at the Dunniverse uh, on Twitter, um, again, uh, Leukemia Lymphoma Society, uh, we'll yes. link to it. Um, if you can give 
a dollar, five dollars, whatever you can spare. Uh, it does so much amazing work for blood cancer. Um, just, you know, thank you guys for listening. And, you know, uh, John, thank you for being on to help promote the cause. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. If you want to talk about a rib, I just uh, took this for Gerald Briscoe. I'm going to send him uh, a game of Texasopoly. <laughs> I just found that. <laughs> I've been, ribbing Briscoe, I've been ribbing Briscoe for 25 years, and he's been ribbing <laughs> me for 25 years. I used to send him subscriptions to every Texas magazine you could get. His brother came over one day and goes, what are you doing with all this Texas stuff? It, it really <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, I heard that story. I don't know where it was, but I did hear it. Oh, my oh. goodness. I used to take a picture of the wooden natives wherever they were, and I'd send it to Jerry. Uh, Jerry's one of my best friends. He had a picture of a wooden native on Twitter as his – profile <laughs> so jerry posted it because he thought it was funny yeah people called me racist and all i'm like come on his profile is a wooden native yeah <laughs> i love jerry and i have more fun together than we and we have for a long time thanks again for listening to the universal wrestling podcast that was part two of the two-part series Thank you for tuning in. If you want to watch part one and part two, hop onto YouTube, search the Universal Wrestling Podcast, and you can find us that way. Thanks again for tuning in. You can find us on Twitter at the UW Pod and Instagram at UW Podcast. Now for next week, it's going to be a short clip, but it's going to be with the legendary Hall of Famer, Jeff Jarrett. We're on the tour to uh, promote this charity, to make awareness. So thanks again for tuning in. If you can, please donate. Thank you again. And we'll see you next time right here on the Universal Wrestling Podcast. Peace. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Universal Wrestling Podcast. Check us out on the web at uwpod.com. You've got mail. Or send us an email. We really don't know what we're dealing with here, man. Info at uwpod.com. Universal Wrestling Podcast. Nobody does it better.